Welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. We call ourselves IPA for short. My name is Troy Mix. I'm Associate Director at the Institute and your host for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. On today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Jalal Hayes. He's an assistant professor of chemistry at Lincoln University, a visiting assistant professor at Delaware State University, and the founder of Elite Universe LLC, a company focused on innovating the approach to and outcomes from STEM education. Dr. Hayes and I spoke about his entrepreneurial journey on October 16, 2020. This episode is presented as part of both Global Entrepreneurship Week 2020 and the Delaware Founders Stories series a collection of conversations with underrepresented and underestimated entrepreneurs focused on documenting entrepreneurial journeys, recounting successes and failures, and reflecting on lessons learned for moving beyond the obstacles along the way. Let's get to the conversation. So thanks for joining me today, Dr. Hayes. I really appreciate you taking some time to speak with me today. Thank you for having me. Wanted to you know dive into your experience uh, as an entrepreneur, and I guess a good place to start is uh, for you. What does it mean to be an entrepreneur, and where and when uh, did you get the sense that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Sure. So thank you again for having me on uh, this podcast. It's an honor. Um, what it means to be an entrepreneur um, for me to be an entrepreneur is to have the freedom to do what you love as well as serve the public good at the same time. Where did I get that um, experience or feel or when did I wanted to be an entrepreneur? I wanted to be, I started out wanting to be an entrepreneur at the age of six. I had this curiosity of, um, as my father would say, I had this curiosity of trying to see how things work and always trying to teach people how things can work and share, share how they can work for them. Um, it started out at age six when um, it's it's kind of interesting. I started selling, I guess, a stationary kit. So when I was young, I created these paper stationary kits. What is is funny looking back now? It was a I took just basic copy paper and I created envelopes out of them. I folded it up and made cards. I wrote on the cards like this is your greeting card, this is your birthday card, this is your anniversary card. So I did that, and in the midst of my cards, I had different stories. So my unique value proposition was you get a nice story about what I know about you and it's very unique to you. So I used to sell stationary kits that was uniquely for um, particular pe- uh, people. And that started out at A6 in um, North Philadelphia, where I'm originally from. So was that, uh, you know, at age six, these stationary kits, was that a success in your mind? Um, It was it was a failure. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, was a, it was a failure because they was like, okay, these are just pieces of paper. I could do this. But but it was it was a short-term, I would say it was a short-term success for about two to three months. I had this big idea that I could, I could help people just draw them in. And I, this would be my end-all, be-all. I wasn't thinking about a millionaire or anything, but this would be like something that I could just want to help people. And it, it got old after three months. And, you know, people moved on. And it's okay. I, I, as, as any entrepreneur, you just pivot. And I just pivot on to other things um, that I thought can be more tangible or more uh, direct deliverable um, moving forward for my customer. So a, sh- a short-term success and then a failure. What are the kinds of things you learned from that first failure? And maybe a couple of failures after it. I'm not sure. 
uh, what the story looked like. But what were the early lessons you took from that experience? So the early lessons were first thing I had to do was define my customer. So I just thought people wanted to feel good, but I didn't really understand my customer. I didn't really look deep and try to figure out what did my customer need and not what did they want temporarily. So that's what I learned from that whole experience. And it took me a couple failures to actually really understand it. So I knew it, but I didn't really apply until I got much older. So from age six to now, there's a story in between, I'm sure. So yes. you, you grew up uh, your whole uh, kind of through high school in North Philadelphia? Yeah. So I grew up um, in North Philadelphia. And at the age 15, I went to college. Um, and from college, of course, in three in three years, graduated from college. And then after that, I went and came down here to Delaware, um, at Delaware State. And from there, throughout my four years, I graduated. I want my PhD and now I'm doing my dream, which is teaching kids, but also I'm showing them the professional world as well as the academic world in regards to um, the sciences. So um, throughout that journey of going from A6 to now 27, I guess you say 20, 21 years, there were a lot of lessons I learned in business. So throughout all my school life, I always had a quote, I had a hustle or I had a, a small little enterprise that I had, but it really didn't evolve until something that I had that I have right now. But I always had like a, a business on the side that allowed me to make some money, but there was always like temporary. So it sounds like you had, you know, one of your hustles was finishing school early at age 15 without getting, you know, I'm sure that's a story of its own, but yeah. <laughs> uh, how did that hustle happen that you end up in college at age 15? Well, it was because of a challenge. So with every challenge presents an opportunity, right? So in regards to that challenge, I had a, a challenge in Philadelphia when I was going to high school where I was lagging behind. I was trying to graduate in four years with my peers, but instead they was trying to chart the course to graduate in six years. And with the help of my parents, we was able to create an opportunity where instead of graduating four years, I graduated in two years, but it required me to put in the work that work or that hustle, I transitioned from uh, doing my hustle and transitioning that and focus on school. So I focused on school full-time and overtime where I grinded out. I had no break. So I grinded out summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall. And I did that for two consecutive years. And that's allowed me to graduate at a very early age. And I took that mindset of being in business and I applied it to school. And this is how I applied it to school. I took that mindset and saw, okay, what is the main goal of school? And what do I need to do to achieve that main goal of school? And what I realized was it was a credit count and it still is a credit count. It was a credit count for high school. We had to get 21 credits in order to graduate. I got 21 credits. So that's why I graduated. I just did it in a faster time. So I scaled up per se, you could say, in my education. So when I got into college, I scaled up. And cut down instead of four years, I did it in three years. And then when I went to grad school, the main goal uh, for the PhD is to get the book done. I had or get the dissertation, the big book. So I did the coursework early, but the main goal was to get the big book. So I did the dissertation work as well as the coursework simultaneously. And that was what under the guidance of my um, professor uh, at the time, Dr. Gowdy. 
he allowed me to do it simultaneously. So I cut down the time from they give you eight years. I did it in a record time of four. So I just basically, if you want to look at a business sense, I scaled up and made sure I use my time more efficiently to graduate school early. And if we would have, you know, found you at uh, your undergraduates in Lincoln, right? Lincoln University. Yes. Uh, what kind of side hustles would you have had then? Sure. So my, my side hustles back then was tutoring. So I all, so when I was going to school um, and they saw me as the young guy on campus, they would always think, oh, you're like a, a genius or a, a prodigy. And I said, okay, that's, that's nice. I just work hard. They said, well, can you tutor me? So from there, I was like, ding, ding, ding. All right. So I would, I, of course I'll tutor you. So I tutored in biology, um, calculus, and I tutored in um, chemistry and I was a chemistry major. So I would tutor these subjects with my peers. I always do a free session first to see if the business model is needed or is this business model going to work. And then from there, I start charging. So my, my first semester, I charged. I mean, I didn't charge. I just did it for free. Um, of course, one day with my classmates, so we were all studying together. And two, I wanted to see if people really needed tutoring or they just wanted to be around. So I did the tu- I did the tutoring. It was effective. People went from um, getting a D grade to a B grade. If they had a C grade, it went to an A grade, um, so on and so forth. So I saw it work the first semester. The second semester and throughout the, my college undergraduate career, that's when I started charging people in terms of tutoring. And it was and the way I did it, I didn't just have a hustle. I had a contract. So I wrote up a little contract. It said, okay, we're going to be tutoring during this time and this day. So if you take the lesson from your first experience, the, the stationary car kits, defining your customer very carefully, knowing what yeah. they want. It seems like this time it was more that you have to be somewhat legitimate. You have to have some yes. contracts. You have yes. to have you know, a brand in mind, even if uh, it's a little bit of faking it until you make it. But it seems like that was well underway at that point. And did you continue that on when you arrived at Delaware State? Yes. So um, I did continue it on when I went to Delaware State. It even grew even it grew even more because now um, I'm a little bit older, but I'm I'm a lot younger than a lot of my peers. So I'm I'm now 18 and 19 in a program. And for those who are listening out there, I'm describing leverage. So I was the youngest person in the program and being the youngest person in the program, everybody else was like 40 or 50. So we're in the same class at this, at this time in grad school, but they saw I was getting the information quicker. Um, and they was like, well, how do you know how to do this and do that? And I said, well, I have a tutoring company. If you want to pay in, I can help you. A couple of uh, follow-up questions that kind of come to mind. I guess one is, you know, you earned your undergraduate and graduate degrees at historically black colleges uh, and universities. And I'm wondering um, how you feel that has kind of shaped your perspective on entrepreneurship or shaped your approach to entrepreneurship. Sure. So um, being a two-time um, HBCU graduate um, has been empowering for me. So being an HBCU graduate for me shaped my shaped my focus on saying that we can navigate anything because if you if you haven't gained anything from an HBCU, one of the things that you know you'll gain is the grit 
the tenacity to keep moving forward and the resilience that no matter what you are dealing with, whether you're in a corporate office or whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're trying to enter rooms where you feel like imposter syndrome, you know that overall you will get through it because the HBCU experience shows that, especially throughout the four years, that you can get through it. And what do I mean by that? So, for example, the first day entering HBCU, we know that when it comes to financial aid, it's a long line. So even though you're in a long line to try to get financial aid, you know, sometimes the financial aid not 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 going to hit um, the, the account at that point in time. You don't give up. You make sure that it gets done. What you're learning is I'm really resilient throughout this experience because at the end of the day, I need an education. And that's something that I believe just that small experience that teaches you that no matter what, you have to get the job done because that particular job is going to get you to your goal. Your goal is to get a degree. Your goal is to graduate. And I'll do whatever it takes to get that degree, to navigate that goal, to get to where I need to be. And even in a room, when you're in a room networking and collaborating, we have to constantly code switch. So I know that throughout my um, HBCU experience, especially at Lincoln University of Pennsylvania, we had a class called Oral Communications. That class taught us not only how to speak, but know how to speak in different environments. So when we pull up in different environments, we know how to speak to the president. We know how to speak to a vice president of, of corporations. We know how to speak to a manager. We know how to speak to the janitor. And they all feel respected and feel, um, feel good when your presence is gone because we have that training to speak to any and everybody as well as be ourselves when we go back home to our inner city communities or suburban communities or rural communities. Because we had that particular training, I know for from my HBCU, that training. Also, being an HBCU specifically now, being a two-time, you're able to enter in um, different rooms and gain access in the mix of those skills that you learn from those other experiences from your historically black college. So for kind of a predominantly white audience, I guess, uh, let's dive in a little bit on code switching if yeah. we could. Uh, so how does, you know, the need to code switch, uh, how does that manifest itself in kind of entrepreneurial settings or business settings uh, in your mind, in your experience? When's it, when is it needed and, and what are the consequences of not uh, being able to pull that off? And what does it mean? Let's start there too. Yeah, what so it- yeah, so for for code switching is basically changing the vernacular, cha- changing the language to where it fits in that certain environment. So what does that mean? So if I go meet an investor that's going to give me a hundred million dollars, I can't say, "Yo, what's up, man? How you doing?" I, I um. Yo, man, it's good to meet you. Yo, I got this product. You know what I mean? And, you know, we're going to be big. That's not going to be received well to an investor, particularly a white investor. You have to come in. How you doing, sir? My name is Dr. Hayes or my name is Jalal Hayes. I am the creator and the founder of Elite Universal Network. And my product, um, based off the sales that we have, which is $100,000, we are projected to make about $1.5 million. But with your investment, we'll be able to make $5 million. See, you know, because I know the person that I'm talking to. So cold switching 
the language has to fit that particular environment. But that particular environment is based off of the knowing that particular person. So in order to master code switching, you have to, number one, do your homework. And I know that for um, black people or people of color and other minorities, we struggle, not struggle, but we have to constantly do our homework to make sure we up on our game. So because we don't know the environment, number one, we don't know. When we finally do our homework and we step into that room, we feel like an imposter. So we have to make sure we're sharp in regards to the language that we talk. Um, we communicate towards that particular investor or that particular corporate person or that particular um, white person in regards to being an entrepreneur. Because if we don't know, it's going to be perceived, as I, as I noticed in my experience, it's going to be perceived as, oh, this person, I, I'm going to just wave them off. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm going to act like that I'm listening, but they really, but I already wrote them off because they don't know, they don't know me. They don't take the time to know me. And, you know, they just, they just black and minority anyway. And that's the, and that's the narrative. And so the concept of code switching is showing people that I'm on my game, number one, but number two, I can speak, I can speak to you and what you do. So in terms of uh, staying sharp, you mentioned, and, you know, kind of being able to read the environment, uh, how do you go about staying sharp uh, when you're going back and forth between these different environments? I guess, partic- you know, you, you mentioned at, when you're at the HBCU setting, yeah, that helped you to understand that it was needed. Yeah. Uh, but how now that you're not in that setting, uh, well, you are in that setting. Just in a different yeah. Not as a student any longer, but uh, how do you try to stay sharp? Uh, what are the resources you pull from to stay sharp? I could say now is, is easier than ever um, because we have the internet. So what I always try to do with any environment that I walk into or any environment I'm about to enter, for me, I try to stay sharp by, okay, this person worked for this company. Let me research this company. Okay, after researching this company, what did this company do? Okay, now let me look. Okay, what is their main mission? Okay, this is their main mission. First of all, how can I match up to their main mission so we can have a win-win situation on both sides? Okay, after doing that, let me now see the person that contacted me or I contacted them and what do they do? So let me look at what do they do and how do they increase the mission of the company or the entity that they work with? So by the time I meet you, I already know everything about you and now I'm just trying to feel what type of vibe and energy that you have. So if it's a pleasant vibe, I know that we're going to have a good time. We're going to have a conversation just like we're doing now. Now, if we're not going to have a good time, which I deal with this a lot of times in regards to my field in terms of STEM, you know, we a little off guard. It's okay. I just stick to the script that I write out. So each, I'm, I'm always taking notes. Like even, even for this interview, I have notes. So I make sure that I do the homework so that you won't have to educate me on what I'm supposed to know. So you won't say, okay, you should have looked at the website or you should have did this. No, I already did it. Now let's just get into the conversation because let's, let's start getting, creating a win-win situation for both of us so that you won't have to look at me of my color. You say, oh, I know Jalal. He's just a great, he's a scientist and this was what he does. And people say, oh, he sounds like a good guy. And then you walk in the room, people may be shocked on black, but you and I know, oh, he, I know that he's sharp because not because of the color of his skin and not because where he worked, but because he did the homework. And I think that would be the equalizer on both sides that we not only have to, we have to do homework as 
um, black people or minorities, but other um, the white culture has to do homework on us as well, especially if they want to understand us and like what you're doing now in terms of understanding our culture and our environment. Because if we do homework with together, we'll be able to create a cohesive environment that produces um, diversity and equity. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that's a burden that you've shouldered and maybe yeah. learned, learned to shoulder to get ahead uh, in a way that white Americans have not always shouldered or appreciated the need to shoulder that to kind of yeah. understand uh, uh, the other side's perspective and the environment they're going into. So I appreciate you uh, educating on, on, on that subject uh, a great deal. So what are you working on now? Uh, what, what's entrepreneurship look like now for you? Wow. Um, entrepreneurship now, it's, I would say I'm in the, I'm in the three E's of the industry. So the first E, um, which I just described you, um, I'm in the education industry. I never, I didn't leave. I'm not doing tutoring anymore. I'm doing more of curriculum mapping and programming. So I'm in that industry now, which I, I could say I've been doing it as an LLC for about, about four years. Yeah, about four years now. And we've grown, we're doing extremely well. We just got a, a deal that will be announced sometime next year that is one of the biggest deals that we just done um, that's going to help a lot, of, a lot of individuals in terms of my customer base I'm able to expand. So we're doing extremely well in the education space. That's with my first company, Elite Universal Network. Um, that is the LLC. The second E is we get into, enter- I won't say entertainment, but that's the actual industry. I have a documentary in regards to my journey that's coming out um, next year. And with that being said, releasing that documentary, I work with some videographers, they're now filmmakers, and they taught me the whole concept of what it takes to actually be in the entertainment industry or the media industry in regards to lighting, shooting a movie this way. How do you want your movie to be received based off of the slowdown, the speed up, the the movie, the editing, the cutting. So although I personally don't do it because I know my lane, my lane is STEM, STEM education. I do have a sector where I have, uh, I work with some phenomenal videographers or now filmmakers that taught me what does the entertainment industry look like on a business sense? What, what is distribution? What is, what is, um, who do you need to connect with? What are the relationships you need to build in order to build something out much more? And what I do is I take the education, whereas I do the programming now where um, during the pandemic, I take that and I find a way to distribute through the entertainment. So it's like now it's like edutainment, right? But that's the second E that I done. Now the, now the third E is energy. So that is something now I'm going back to my research that I did at Delaware State University in regards to renewable energy for the subdiscipline of hydrogen storage. Um, so we focus on hydrogen energy and production in regards to clean energy. Um, and I'm, I'm now entering in, but I realized that it is a, I want to say touchy topic, but it's all based off of politics and policies, right? And the reason why I say that is because looking at the state of Delaware, where had, we realized that we have clean, clean energy is on the rise on the East Coast, but California is already there. 
And so as it is on the rise, I chose since I have a patent on this particular um, material for the energy space, let's try to um, pursue it in regards to um, a spin out company or commercialization. So those are three E's. I start out in education. We releasing a documentary. So that'll be the entertainment or the edutainment space as well as the energy space, which I know is going, that's going to take a while. I guess looking, you know, where you are right now, a lot of, you know, a long career ahead of you, a lot of work to do on energy uh, as you navigate that space. I mean, what obstacles are you facing right now? Kind of when you look day to day or year to year. So the the obstacles I have is just staying up to date on, um, on each industry. That's one. So I know how to move in the industry. That's two. And, and three is creating that environment where um, information is being welcome. Because as you probably hear me talk, I move solo sometimes, but in regards to welcoming other people in that are on the same level as me or not on the same level as me, even higher than me or lower, making sure that and understanding that they have information that can help me. Being an entrepreneur, everybody is willing to give you feedback in some way, shape, or form. And that's something that I'm learning to overcome, but it's an obstacle right now that every information doesn't have to be direct. Majority of my information is going to be indirect to what I'm doing. And you mentioned it's a challenge. I mean, are there areas uh, or are there sources of support you're getting on that information front that are helping you along at the moment? Um, I am getting some. Um, my, of course, my, I'm a model Delaware State University. They helped me out um, tremendously um, in regards to giving me the opportunities to help make my dreams a reality. Um, and my dreams are just basically helping other people. I just create platforms to help them. But they're they're very helpful at this time to get me developing that help me develop that platform. I'm I'm very grateful for that. Another thing is, of course, my family. I'm keeping my social emotional health intact, and in addition to um, social emotional, my I could I could say hmm I could say just remi- just constant reminders um, from my, my from my pastors that it's okay to fail and you don't have to be a perfectionist at everything you do. Uh, just as long as you're moving forward, you're going to be all right. So I can say that for the, for the spiritual. So those are the sources of support that I have right now that I literally just welcomed to my life um, about a year, two years ago. And now I still got some obstacles that I had to work on for myself, but because of those sources of support, I'm able to get over them each and every day. And in terms of, uh, you know, you mentioned growing up in North Philadelphia and kind of your first entrepreneurship was in the neighborhood and you've gained a great deal of support from the campuses you've been on from, yeah. uh, you know, spiritual communities that you know, you know may be in person or virtual or otherwise. But yeah. uh, what do you have you learned about the importance or maybe not the importance of kind of being rooted in a place uh, when it comes to your entrepreneurship or being committed to improving conditions in your uh, local or regional environment. Does that play a role in your activities? That that plays a viable role because I think one of the things now in entrepreneurship, you have to 
for for me, it played a pivotal role because it was a point of my my entrepreneurial journey, especially in the early part of my um, entrepreneurial journey. My whole goal was just to make money. I didn't care how I was making money. I didn't do anything illegal, but I I just wanted to make money in any way, shape, or form. I didn't care how morally it was. I didn't care how ethically it was. My whole goal was to make money. But, but as I got older, I realized you can't make money if you're not rooted into something that is mission-driven, purpose-driven, as well as serving the public good. So although I was helping people, it wasn't like, it, I was like half in, half out. So I was into ha- helping people, but I was waiting on the check. Like, I was like, okay, you got to give me the money now. Like, I helped you, give me the money. Now it's like I'm at a point in my life where I'm going to help you regardless if I get the money or not. And that's because I'm rooted in spiritually grounded on what my mission actually is in life. And because I'm rooted in that, the money just flows to me now. And I can say that in a confident way because people know what I do. They know I'm just not out here hustling. You know, I'm not just out here just trying to make money. I'm trying to make a difference. I'm trying to make an impact. And when, and that's what I learned being rooted. When I make an impact, the income comes on a substantial level. So that's, that played a, a very, very pivotal role um, in my entrepreneurial career. And you're a unique person to ask this because you mentioned you're, you're doing, uh, working on a documentary that kind of tracking your journey. Uh, when you think about your journey and entrepreneurs who might follow in your footsteps, what are kind of the key pieces of advice or the key takeaways you think people should look at uh, what you went through and what you're going through and uh, how, what they can take for their own journeys? Sure. So um, what I would what I would say for them is start out as a brand, but evolve into a platform. So. Everybody right now, especially my generation, um, the millennial generation, as well as the Gen Z generation, we focus on saying we're entrepreneurs, but we're brands now. But we got to get to a point where in the part of your mission of your company, you have to evolve into a platform. There's a line in my documentary said, um, Dr. Ja, that's my, um, that's what everybody called me in the community. Um, Dr. Ja is not a, is not a brand. He's a platform. When I step on, everybody gets on, meaning that I'm not just moving for me. I'm moving for people that, that when they come around me, they also become wealthy, just like I believe I'm wealthy in regards to mindset and how I move now. So advice, you can start up as a brand, be yourself, be identity. That's what makes you um, scale up as a, as a company, but overall become a platform because platform is where you can make everybody else rich. And we make everybody else rich, you will ultimately be the top 1% in your field. And that's what I aim to become, be the top 1% in my field. Well, uh, Dr. Hayes, I, you know, really appreciate you, you know, uh, kind of being on brand and providing a real education to the audience today and appreciate you taking time. I really enjoyed the chance to learn more about your journey. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Mix. It was an honor. For more information on Dr. Hayes' work, 
visit drjalalhays.com. To learn about Global Entrepreneurship Week, visit gewusa.co. For more on IPA, visit ipa.udel.edu. Thanks again for tuning in to First Aid Insights. Reach out with any comments and be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. I hope you'll join us again soon. 